Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, God is one. Good morning. No pain, no gain, an exercise motto that I think we've all heard. No pain, no gain promises greater reward for the price of hard and even painful work. For us as Christians, today's gospel reminds us that this is also a banner phrase of the kingdom of God. Last week we heard about the little suffering that the disciples would experience at the death of Christ and how that would be turned into unspeakable joy just a few days later. No pain, no gain. Jesus, the God-person, must experience an unspeakable death to gain life for the world. Moreover, God himself chooses to give up his place in infinite eternity to experience our finite temporality in every aspect in order to save us and to provide us the path to renewal. Out of Adam's side came the rib that formed Eve and birthed the entire human race. Or as those who know about the nuances of these ancient languages, God literally tore Adam in two to make Eve. And out of Jesus' side came water and blood, a new birth that makes us all able to be the children of God. We too can become God persons through the grace of God. We heard the crucifixion and death of Christ compared to labor pains last week, which are unimaginably bad. And I admit I'm unable to experience them, but I'm told they are at least as bad as a kidney stone, which I will say I've had the sincere displeasure of experiencing and hope to never again experience. Yet the Bible says, and experience is, that those labor pains are forgotten when the child is born because another little bundle of joy has entered the world. It's truly a moment of unspeakable joy and beauty. So much so that Jesus tells us the woman no longer remembers the anguish of labor. But here we are a week later again with a message from Jesus that another sorrow is to come. This time he's not just leaving for a little while, but for an entire age. Of course, the disciples thought he was going to be coming back soon. He did say it that way after all. But they quickly realized that soon was on God's time, not on our time. And as St. Peter tells us in his second epistle today, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Yet this week again, he says to his disciples, no pain, no gain. He tells them that, but because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, or more precisely, the paraclete, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So what is a paraclete? Well, there's not such an easy answer for that. This is actually the only place that that word appears in the Bible in this form. Although there is another place in the Septuagint within the book of Job that appears to be a more active and plural form, meaning comforters. It is also a word that does not appear very often in the non-Jewish classical Greek texts. And when it does, it has more of a legal meaning. And even in modern Hebrew, 
the cognate is used for words like solicitor, district attorney, and solicitor general. However, this feature of lawyers to plead one's case on their behalf is also well captured here because ultimately we're told in, in St. Mark's Gospel that when they bring you to trial, meaning the disciples, and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Holy Spirit is here to comfort and help us by advocating for us when we don't even know where to begin, when perhaps, as in a legal case, we should actually keep our mouth shut and let our lawyer speak on our behalf. And so is it any surprise that Jesus tells us, even here, that the paraclete is acting as a lawyer because he reproves. This word translated from Greek into English, el inko, which means to expose or to convict. That is to convince with clear and compelling evidence, particularly to expose something wrong or hidden. And that's what the paraclete is here to do, to expose and convict us, but of what? Jesus tells us three specific things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he goes on to explain a little bit about each. And each one has something to do at one level or another, with his coming death. First, the present sin of the scribes and Pharisees, who, by not believing in him, will decide that the right course of action is to murder the author of life. Second, his resurrection and ascension will prove to them that they are wrong, and that he is indeed the Son of God, as he has always said. And the sending of the Holy Spirit will prove, and yet again, that he is God. Because he says that the coming of the Holy Spirit is God's will, and his coming as Jesus proves that his will is one and the same with the Father. And third and finally, the prince of this world, the devil, is judged. Jesus' death defeats death, the curse that the prince of the world brings upon it. But that is just the initiation of the victory. Renewal, rebirth, and recreation will come. And by the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the earth, it is recreated as new life is breathed into it that no one can take away, not even the devil in his wiles. The Jews knew that God's Shekinah glory had left the temple when they awaited its return with great hope. They wanted God to again be with them. And little did they expect that God would really be with them, not in the temple in Jerusalem, but as a man who walked among them and then in the temple of every Christian's heart. How great our joy should be. And as Jesus says, All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take up mine and shall show it unto you. But I don't think this is intended to be a passive show that we binge watch in our spare time. We're not just watching some cosmic television. No, Jesus is saying what the Father has is also mine, and the Spirit shall take what is mine and share it with you so that you can experience it directly. That is, if you're willing to. But it will take some pain so that we can obtain the gain. One of the seeming paradoxes of our faith is that we must suffer to achieve glory. People often wonder why there is pain and suffering in this world. And while there's no easy answer to this, 
and the events of the world constantly remind me of this unspeakable racial injustice in the premeditated murder of men and women who were killed for no other reason than the color of their skin was different than mine. Have mercy, a grandmother who volunteered every week and at her church's pantry, an 80-year-old who took care of her husband for 68 years, a retired police officer murdered while they were just out shopping at a grocery store, just like you and I do each and every week. Members of a Taiwanese Presbyterian church in Laguna Hills, California, were killed and injured as they worshiped because the politics were different. I could go on and on, right? I don't need to remind you of all the headlines. These sorts of events make any person, any feeling person, want to shake their fist at heaven. And trust me, sometimes I do. But when we do that, our anger is misdirected because Satan is the source of evil, not God. And yet God proves that he's in control by even taking the worst of circumstances and turning them for the better. Everything happens for a reason, but not in the traditional sense. We should not for a moment believe that God thinks anything, as so many try to say to us to make us feel better at moments like this, that bad things happen for the best. Yes, occasionally God, I do believe, sends us a wake-up call that we are seriously on the wrong track. And sometimes that medicine tastes bad, the shot in the arm stings a little, but even in those cases, it's us who are at fault, who through our complicity with Satan have had just a tiny bit of our enormous debt come true. Sometimes people who believe in the ultimate omnipotence of God wonder why he providentially allows for evil. After all, if God is all-powerful, and if what I just said is true, that God indeed does not will any bad to happen, why doesn't he just make it all stop? The answer for us as Orthodox Christians is pretty simple. God bestowed upon mankind, and if I may note also upon the angels, free will. And in that creative act, God irrevocably gave up some of his power. But in return, he got something he could get in no other way. True love. Instead of robots, he created living beings. Loving beings. You can't make someone love you, and God knows that. God wanted to spread the love eternally present between the three persons of the Trinity, and boy, did he ever. But with that came the possibility of rejection, of sin. And unfortunately, some of the angels and all of us from the beginning have chosen to reject God's love and bring evil into this world. So no, God does not make bad happen for good. Banish the thought. When we blame God for bad things, Satan wins. Instead, we must understand that yes, indeed, bad things happen for a reason. And that reason is the prince of darkness in ourselves when we choose to be on Satan's team rather than on God's. And yet what is so amazing is that God can turn bad into good. And we are most reminded of this when we think of the cross, which we've been focusing on again now after the resurrection. God didn't bring about his death on the cross, but he also didn't try to avoid it. Instead, he embraced that suffering and transformed it into life for the entire world. He took his light and shined it in the darkness. Just as light spreads throughout the darkness and fills it, 
God hopes that like so many of his disciples through the ages, we will stop being on Satan's team and instead take the darkness all around us and bring a little bit of light into it and thereby brighten that darkness. When we then are able to turn something dark, something evil into a good. When we do, we show our power over the darkness, evil, and the devil. And when we do, we show that the Holy Spirit lives in us. When we do that, we show we are like Christ, the children of God. When we do, we use our gift of free will from God to love God and neighbor and not the darkness. When the world seems to be against you, call on the paraclete who lives in your hearts. As we so often say in this traditional Orthodox prayer, O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and fillest all things, treasury of blessings and giver of life, come and abide in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O Gracious One. And never forget, we are called to share in the pain of this world, to take up our crosses and follow our Lord and turn that pain into gain, into the joy and salvation of everyone around us. So may your light shine in the darkness and brighten the world around you. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.